I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher here at Grace and Truth Ministries. I've been trying to teach you something about faith or believe. Faith. Well, let me give me another pen. Faith is the... Everything that faith is, believe does. They're both basically the same word. Faith is the noun. A noun is a person, place, or thing. This is a thing. Believe is the verb form of faith. Faith is the word P-I-S-T-I-S. P-I-S-T is the stem of the word. It's built on this. The ending of the word changes depending on a character of the word, a noun, a pronoun, some kind of a verb, past tense, future tense, so forth. Believe is the word P-I-S-T-E-U-O. You notice it's got the same stem. That's because it's a form of the same word. We've been talking about believe. There's a word, unbelief. You can't just teach this all of a sudden. Unbelief is the word A-P-I-S-T-I-S. The alpha primitive, the first letter of the Greek alphabet, when it's in front of a word as a negative particle, that's what it will say in your Strong's Concordance. It'll say from, and it'll say one. One in your concordance is the alpha. The alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. It's called the alpha privative alpha. When it's a negative particle, it's an alpha privative. Alpha privative. And it will say from one as a neg part. Negative particle means it's in front of a word and it negates or gives an opposite meaning to the word. This means no pistis or no faith. Well, you got three kinds of faith. Actually, you got two kinds, but I'll classify no faith along with it. You have opistis, no faith. You have no faith. And then you have little faith. Every time Jesus would say, Oh, ye of little faith, that was because the apostles were just, they were young men that had been called by Jesus, and they were kids. I keep commenting, you'll see Jesus walking in a in a wheat field or a cornfield with apostles, and they're old and they got long gray beards. That's not the apostles when he called them. Jesus was 30 when he called them to follow him. They could not have been over 20, 21, 22 years old. They were kids. And he would look at them and say, he told them at one time, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And being kids, they went, duh, uh, uh, is that because we have brought no bread with us? He said, I'm not talking about bread. I'm talking about the doctrine. 
the doctrine. That's in Matthew, the 16th chapter. He said, when I'm talking about leaven, I'm talking about the sin. Leaven was a type of sin. That was the same thing that we put in rolls and we call yeast. Boy, it sure is good, just like sin. It sure tastes good. Doctrine, didache, means instruction. He said, I'm not talking about literal leaven. I'm talking about instruction. So you've got no faith. Little faith is the word O-L-I-G-O. P-I-S-T-I-S. Oligos pistis, it comes from O-L-I-G-O-S and P-I-S-T-I-S. Jesus commented to the apostles, O ye of Oligos pistis, O ye of puny faith. Puny faith means there's some faith there, but it has to lead to the third kind of faith increasing faith faith has to grow it must grow increasing faith the apostles come to Jesus and they said Lord this is in Luke the 17th chapter they said Lord increase our faith that's because they had little faith and it's going to have to grow faith has to grow well, he, t- he sits and tells them how it grows. He also tells us in Second Peter 1 and 5, 1 and 5, besides all this, give all diligence, add to your faith. And he names seven things, seven things. And it takes adding the seven things for faith to increase. This word add, that's not an invitation. That word add is the word epi, C-H-O-R-E-G-E-O. Corrego looks very familiar to us. That's because it is. Corrego is our word choreography. C-H-E-O. O-R-E-G Choreography A choreographer is a dance leader and that is not a choice in the Greek that is what you call an imperative mood an imperative is a command And that's something when it's one of the apostles writing one of the epistles, that's the Holy Spirit that is inspiring them to write these words down. Well, the Holy Spirit is Christ in us. So that's as much of a command if Jesus is the God of the Old Testament and he is, he said before Abraham was, I am and bore the Pharisees. They took up stones to tone him for saying that, for accusing him of being the... He said he was the I am God. We know that it is the God of the Old Testament because when Moses, God came to Moses and said, you go tell Pharaoh, I am has sent me. 
He said, what if, what if they say, what is his name? What if Israel says that? You tell them, I am has sent me. So when Jesus told the Pharisees in John 8, I am, or I am the way, I am the door, I am the truth, I am the life. When he said that, he was saying, I am Jehovah. And so, add would be just as much of a command when he said, when he said, let there be light. Well, and there was light. So when God says add, and he said that because that was inspired by Peter to add to our faith. He said it. So add, epicorego, epi means to cover or superimpose upon your life. Superimpose. The choreography of God. Choregeo comes from choros. And ago. Ago means to lead. Choros. Choros is a circular dance. And the Jews had a circular dance. They called it the sacred dance. I've got a book on the sacred dance of the Jews. They call that the Haggadah, H-A-G-G-A-D-A-H, not to be confused with the Haggadah 1G. This has got two Gs. So that's the circular dance. Haggadah is the circular dance. And that's what we are commanded to add seven things. So when you have faith increasing... When you have little faith, you have a tendency to believe Jesus sometime and believe self the other time. When you have no faith, apistus, and Jesus used that several times, or the apostles used that. Look over here in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians the or is it second Corinthians the tenth chapter the tenth chapter and he says here in verse fifteen he's talking about to Corinth he wrote letters and they said your letters are your letters are weighty they're full of correction and we don't like that he said I know you don't like it in verse ten well, let me read verse 9. That I may not seem if I would terrify you by my letters. He was hard on them. For his letters say they, say the people at Corinth, are weighty and powerful. They're too much for us. But his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is contemptible the way he talks to us. Corinth was a weak apostate church. They were always arguing and fighting. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. Oh, yeah, you know what I think about you? (laughs) They were similar. I've had people say, I would never go to a church that fights, and you wouldn't go to Corinth, and you wouldn't go to Galatia, and you wouldn't go to Ephesus, and you wouldn't go to Colossia, and you wouldn't go to Philippi. They were fighting in all of them. Then he says, his speech is contemptible. Then down here in verse 15, 
Paul says, I'm not boasting in myself. In verse 13, we, but we will not boast of things without measure, things that have no measure to them. The word measure is ametros, A-M-E-T-R-O-S. Metron, M-E-T-R-O-N, R-O-N, metron, means a measure. We get the word meter out of that. A meter is a British term. It It's... It's a measure of faith, and everyone has been given a measure, a meter of faith, but ametros means no measure. Well, that actually would be no faith. No faith. Now, let's keep reading here. And he says, We will not boast of things without measure, But according to the measure, the metron, the meter of the rule, here's what we will boast in. The measure of the rule of God. Rule is the word canon. Canon comes from the word cane. A cane was something they used to measure foundation. They would treat a cane and put it on a foundation, make sure that it was level. So he said, we we boast in the things of the measure which God has distributed to us through his word. A measure to reach even unto you. Then he says in verse 15, not boasting of things without measure, ametron, ametros. That is, of other men's labors. I'm not going to boast about other men's labors. Reminds me of a verse that Paul used over here in Romans. The, the 15th chapter in verse 18. Oh, let me read 18 through 20. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Elycrim I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so I have yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel not where Christ was named. He's saying, I'm not going to stand around Jerusalem and preach where Peter's building a church lest I should build upon another man's foundation. We have young preachers that have left here, and all they do is repeat me. That's okay, but they want to take credit for it. That's okay, too. The judgment will come from God. Now that takes us back over here. In in verse 15, let me read that again. Not boasting of things... Without measure, Ametron, that is of other men's labors. I'm not going to take credit for what other men have built. But having hope 
when your faith is increased, we're talking about faith growing. When your faith is increased, that we shall be enlarged by you, it means to be built up by you according to the rule to our rule abundantly. He says, and let's go read on, to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's line. Don't boast. It's okay for me to teach you as a seminary student. But don't go out and say, I did all of this myself and I'll print out Jim Brown's messages and I'll take credit for it. If you're not capable of exegeting the Word of God, you don't have any business teaching. If you can't go into it yourself and see what these things mean. Of things made ready to our hand. So Paul said, "You, I will be enlarged by you. I will be lifted up instead of condemned by you when your faith increases. You'll stop gossiping about the preacher when you get strong in the truth. Now, I'm talking about this. We've been talking about unbelief. We talked about these people, these people here in... We've been talking about the people in Israel been talking about how that God told Israel when they were in the wilderness well I'll get I'll find it here in a minute just a second when they were in the wilderness he was saying that the people that he told he told Israel he got them over to hold on I'll get there in a minute one of these days I'll get something I can speak it and it'll take me to where I want to go Now, when they left Egypt, we've been talking about unbelief in Hebrews 3 and 4. Hebrews is a book written to believers, not to Jews, not to Jewish believers only, but all believers, this book is written to Jews of the heart, and that's Gentiles that have been made Jews of the heart. And we've been circumcised of the heart. And a Jew is not outwardly, but of the heart. That's what the Bible says. Now, when Israel came down, we, we concluded in our previous lessons. When they left Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea here. They came down to Sinai in the southern Sinai Peninsula, made their way up to Kadesh Barnea. And because they wouldn't go in and attack the land of Anak, the Anakims, and they were gigantic men, probably, probably Goliath's ancestors. He was somewhere in the neighborhood of nine feet six inches tall huge man and you wouldn't think that anybody would want to go out there and fight him David went out to fight him not because he thought he could out wrestle him but because he had a sling that he was an expert with and a sling was a very dangerous weapon in fact 
Alexander the Great had entire company of men with slings. He had a move that he would do on the enemy. He would bring an army out in front of him. Then before before he got to the enemy, he would take his army and go sideways to the side and behind all of these men was an entire company of men with slings and they were they could hit a target hit a hair's breadth it was like having a rifle with a great big ball in it and they could hit dead center from long distances and that's how he would win over a lot of his armies and with some of his other tactics as well so we were talking about how when they came up here to Kadesh Barnea, that they, the Bible says they had no faith. They had apistis, A-P-I-S-T-I-S. There's another word that is a synonym for that. You'll find this synonym, you find this word, you find this word in you find apistis in Hebrews 3. You find the word A-P-E-I-T-H-O-S. Apithos, which means no persuasion. It comes from pithos, P-E-I-T-H-O, or pitha. And the alpha primitive, it means, pitho means to persuade. That's the word that Paul used when he said, do I persuade men or God? If I persuade men, I'm not the servant of Christ. That's in Galatians, the first chapter. Apithos means no persuasion. No. He said, I have not, pers- I have not persuaded No persuasion. In fact, let's go back and look at these words. I'm going to, I need to let, to show you these words in Hebrews, the third chapter. Hebrews 3. Hebrews 3. And if you go to Hebrews, the third chapter, we'll look at verse 12. Paul is talking about when they were in the wilderness. Hebrews 3 is talking about when Israel had left Egypt and they were in this wilderness. And they come up here to Kadesh Barnea. Chapter 3 and 4 is about they were afraid to go into Gaza, Ashkelon, and Ashdod, which are cities of the Philistines. But that came later because this was prior to the Philistines when that was the land of Anak, and that's on the southwestern border of Israel. It's called the Gaza Strip today, Gaza Strip. That's what it's called today. And this is Israel, and this is on the southwest corner. Israel is divided into two sections. you got the Sea of Galilee up here. And then your Jordan River running down into the Dead Sea in the south. Now, I want us to look at this. He's talking about in this chapter, he's talking about they had no faith. Look here in Hebrews 
the third chapter, and I'll just review a little bit of this to get on with the subject. So this is the no faith. The Bible says they didn't have any faith. Hebrews 3 and verse 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Apistus. A-P-I-S-T-I-S. Well, I already had it written up here. An evil heart of no faith. That's the first form of faith we talked about. No faith. Well, if you have faith, God's got to put it in your heart. What God says, he said, you up there, I've said this so many times, but there's so much to this story. He said, you spied out the land for 40 days. You came back and said, we can't go into the land. So you were leaders of these tribes that went and spied it out. So everyone 20 years old and upward, I'm going to put you in the wilderness a year for the day you spied it out, and I'm going to put you there for 40 years until I kill off all the unbelievers, all the unbelief, all the apistas. And I keep saying this. When you get to the book of Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They were in the wilderness in Exodus, the 12th chapter, all the way through the book of Numbers. They were in the wilderness here. And God was killing off Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. He's killing off everyone from 20 years old and upward for 40 years. When you get to Deuteronomy, everyone in the wilderness is a believer. So when you get to Deuteronomy, the 30th chapter, and he says to Israel, choose life, he's not talking about choose whether you want to be saved or not. He's saying select to live for God. Choose is the word bakar. Bakar means to select. He's simply saying the same thing that I say from the pulpit. As a believer, live for Christ. Don't live for yourself. Live for the Lord. That's the only answer in the way through this. So Deuteronomy is never talking to. It is not talking to unbelievers. It's talking to believers. Even when you get into Joshua. Before they get to the promise, Joshua is leading, uh, is leading believing Israel to conquer, to conquer the land of Jordan. They couldn't have conquered if Joshua hadn't been a believer and his followers hadn't been believers. That goes back to Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter. If you're obedient to my laws and my commandments and my statutes, you'll go against your enemy one way and they'll please seven ways. So when Joshua went to Ai, in the book of Joshua, Ai, that's a city, he went to Gilgal, he went to... uh, Jericho, he had no problem beating those people because he was righteous and the people that were following him was righteous. 
It's not until they get into the land of Israel in Judges, the second chapter, that a new nation rises up that did not know God. And then God allows them to be conquered by the enemy, by the Midianites there in the third chapter. That's because a new Joshua died, new leaders rose up that didn't know God. And they kept going after Baal in the grove. All right. Now, where am I? Now, let's go back over here. I want us to go over here to... We're talking about unbelief. Look here in... In... Uh, in Hebrews, the third chapter, verse 12. Take heed, brethren. He's talking about hardening not their hearts as in the provocation in the wilderness. Provocation equals take heed, brethren, lest your heart, lest there be in you an evil heart of unbelief, just like the way we were in the wilderness. Unbelief equals provoking God. Unbelief equals provoking God. We've already said, I'll say it again because I love the verse in Romans, Romans 4, 18 and 19. Well, 17 says, God called things that be not as though they were. God quickens the dead, quickens, Z-O-O-P-O-I-E-O, means to make, poeo, zoo alive. The zoo you see living animals. So make alive. God makes alive in verse 17. And Abraham considered not his own body, now dead. He was too old to have children in that 18th verse. Neither the deadness of Sarah's womb, it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. She didn't ovulate anymore. She couldn't have children, but she did. Abraham didn't have no sperm, no seed, but he did. Because God said so. He, he made alive the loins of Abraham. And Abraham considered not his own body now dead, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. Verse 19 says, Abraham staggered not. Staggered not, not at the promise of God through, this would be staggering through unbelief. So whatever stagger is, that is unbelief. That is apistus. And we've looked the word stagger, and it is the word diacrino. And it means to discriminate. It means you do the deciding what is good and what is bad. That's like people that discriminate against race. They say, well, the black race is bad and the white race is good, or the white race is bad and the black race is good. There's no discrimination other than when God discriminates. God can discriminate, but we cannot. God has a race. And the Bible says we are God's God's race, the Jews of the heart. It has nothing to do with color. Nothing. 
has to do with whether God writes upon fleshy tables of your heart or not. That's It's up to God. He can discriminate. We cannot. So, Abraham staggered not. Here's what you do when you discriminate. Diacrino is the word stagger. means to discriminate. And it comes from the word dia. Dia means the channel or the method. Channel or method. And crino means to judge, decide, guilty or innocence. Guilt or innocent. So when you discriminate, you decide who's guilty or innocent, and you can't do that. You can't do that with black or white or red or yellow or anything else. If you are innocent, God has to declare that the word justify, D-K-I-O-D-I-K-A-I-O-O, that is the word justify. And whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. And whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called them, he also justified. It means to render innocent. And that word justify is an aorist indicative verb. That's a past tense, A-O-R-I-S-T. That's a past tense verb, aorist indicative. And that means before the foundation of the world, Jesus justified his family and says, this one's mine, this one's mine. And they're going to be all colors, black and white and red and yellow and brown. But they, it won't be everybody in the world. It'll be certain people that he chose and wrote on fleshy tables of their heart and called them to be righteous unto him. And he's predestined that group of people to conform to the image of his son. Now, now I'm talking about this stagger is diacrino. So anytime you find the word diacrino or doubt, usually the word doubt, if a man doubts not in his heart, diacrino, he doesn't become the method of judging. That's what it means. You can't make it mean something else. It's the same thing James, the first chapter, said when it says, if a man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God how he can get through the fire and the trial and let him not waver. Waver is the word diacrino. Don't you do the judging one day. Our judging depends completely on God's will. We say, thy will is being done, Lord, and I bow to it. That's the correct judgment. We're to judge righteous judgment. That's God's judgment. So he says in verse 11, uh, excuse me, in verse 12, Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief just like they were when they hardened their hearts from verse 8 in the wilderness in departing from the holy God. So what they were involved in, they were departing from God. Then you go over to verse 19. So we see that they could not enter into, it could not, Enter in. Into what? He keeps talking about rest. 
the verse 18 talks about entering into God's rest. He's talking about entering into Canaan. These people, 40 years old and upward, they could not enter into God's kataposis. And God compares this settling down. This means to pause down, to settle down. When they settle down, God is comparing getting into the promised land. They're down here. They're down here in the desert. And he's talking about these people, 20 years old and upward, that murmured against God because they couldn't go into the land of Anak. They're not going to enter into the promised land. These And God knows how to pick them all out and make sure they die before they get to the promised land. And there's the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River running down there. So he knows how to kill off everybody that doesn't believe him. I'm wanting to really get this over to you because it takes a lot to see it. So he says in that 19th verse of the third chapter, so we see that they could not enter into enter into the Sabbath. You say you keep calling the cataposis the Sabbath. That's what they didn't do on the Sabbath. They didn't do anything. They rested in their house. They didn't go anywhere. They had to stay in their place according to the 16th chapter of Exodus. So they couldn't enter into the rest because of unbelief. Let me give you a... a Let me give you a word over here in Deuteronomy 32. This is a reference to Deuteronomy 32. Is a reference. This is Moses referencing Numbers 14. When they murmured against God and said, we can't go beat those giants. And this is how, when we come across difficulty in our life, predestination is the Sabbath. We conform to the likeness of Christ, to his image, icon. Jesus rested in everything that was done because it was all the will of his father when the Pharisees said why don't you talk to us don't you know we've got power to release you Pilate said the same thing and he said you don't have any power except to be given you of my father which is in heaven he rested in everything they were doing he was dying for his wife the church why wouldn't he rest in it If you can learn to really believe predestination that God works all things after this counts of his own will, including all the evil, he works everything. Now, go over here to Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32. And Moses is recounting what happened in Numbers 14 when the people murmured against God. This is this whole chapter. This whole chapter. Gosh, where can I start here? Let me read some of this. Uh, 
I'll start here in about verse 8. When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. And the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. Lot means measured out. And Jacob is Israel. Israel is God's inheritance. He found him in the desert land and in the waste howling wilderness. He led him about. This is God leading Israel about. Instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. The Bible says repeatedly that Israel was the apple of the eye. The apple is the pupil. That's what God sees. As an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them and beareth them up on her wings. I've read this out of the customs and the culture of the Jews. The eagle would push one of the baby eaglets. An eaglet was a baby eagle. E-G-L-E-T. Hold on here. Get my pen. I dropped it. An eaglet. E-G-L-E-T was a baby eagle. She would, thinking when she thought it was ready for the baby eagle to learn, she pushed it off the nest. And when it would flap and it couldn't fly, she would swoop down under it and give it some of the lift with the big wings that she had and flap and the baby eaglet would fly and get on up using its mother's power and lift and it would get back up to the nest. That's This is a wonderful picture of how we'll mount up with wings as eagles if we... If we trust in the Lord, he'll, he'll, we'll mount up with, things with eagles and we'll run and not be weary, we'll not run and not faint. And then he says, So the Lord alone did lead Israel, and there was no strange God with him. He made him to ride on the high places of the earth. This is talking about God leading Israel, and he'll make us do the same thing that he might eat the increase of the fields and make him to suck honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock. They had lots of honey, milk and honey in Israel. That was the land flowing with milk and honey. That means, Mr. Edersheim tells us in the sketches of the Jewish social life, he says that means that milk and honey means the the cow's udders will be dripping with milk and that'll be because the bees are are buzzing all of this around all of these rocks and they have these honey stashes up on these rocks and the Jews could go out there and just sweep their hand across some rock and sweep honey that the that the bees were making butter of kine and milk of sheep it's talking about the richness of the land with fat of lambs and rams of the breeds of Bashan and goats with the fat of kidneys of wheat 
and thou didst drink the pure blood of the grape. That's what Israel drank. There wasn't many good wells in that land. But those deep wells had pure water. But if they couldn't get to them, they drank the pure blood of the grape. They did not drink a drunken elixir. They did not. If it was drunken, it was against God's rules. And don't take me to Noah. Noah shouldn't have been drunk. People say, Noah got drunk. Well, it doesn't mean, the Bible doesn't say, Noah got drunk, go go down and do likewise. It doesn't say that. The righteous people in the Bible made a lot of mistakes and did a lot of sin. But Jeshurun, which is another name for Israel, waxed fat and kicked. Thou art waxen fat, thou art grown thick, thou art covered with fullness, with fatness. Then he forsook God, which made him, and lightly esteemed the the rock of his salvation. They they lightly esteemed the rock. That had to do with Moses striking the rock rather than speaking to it. And that's where Moses made the mistake in the wilderness. That's why God didn't let him go over the go over to Canaan. They provoked him to jealousy with strange gods. Well, did Israel do that in the wilderness? Yes. They made a golden calf in the 32nd chapter of Exodus. How can God lead you out? And then you start complaining to get Moses and Elijah, uh, Elijah, Moses and Aaron, and say, well, he brought us out here to die. He didn't bring you out there to die. Sometimes you think in life he brought you to this point to die. He didn't do that. They provoked God to anger and they sacrificed unto devils, not to God. The word is shed. It has to do with the same thing, daemonion, in the New Testament. That's our word demon, and that's the word self. They called all their gods by the title daemonion. To new gods that came newly up, whom your fathers feared not. If the rock that beget the capital R, that's Christ with him in the wilderness. If the rock that beget thee, thou art unmindful, has forgotten God that formed thee, Israel. And when the Lord saw it, he abhorred them because of the provoking of his sons. They said, we can't go in and conquer those giants. And every time they turned around, they were provoking God every time you turned around. In fact, they were provoking him in Numbers 11, 20, 11 excuse me, Numbers 14, 11, and 23, Numbers 16, 30, Deuteronomy 9 and 7, Deuteronomy 31 and 20, Ezra 5 and 12, Psalms 78 and 40 reminds them of that, what they did in the wilderness. Psalm 78, 66, Psalms 106, 7, Isaiah 3, 8, Ezekiel 8, 3, Hebrews 3, 16, what we've been reading from. They provoked God and that was unbelief. What he says in this next verse. 
And they said, I will hide my face, or God said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be, for they are very froward, tapuka, twist. They twist my words. They're a forward generation, children in whom is no faith. Opistus. But the Old Testament puts it, no faith. And you got, let me go over here. It mentioned this over here. Let me read a couple more verses. They have moved me to jealousy. This is God speaking. Israel has done this. We're in Deuteronomy. He's he's remembering their sin. And he's warning the current generation, don't do what they did. If you do, I'll bring the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and the beast. They have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their vanities. Was Israel doing that in the wilderness? They were constantly provoking God through unbelief. Faith is believing God. Faith, I keep saying this, faith is death to self. That's what faith is. Faith believes God and quits believing self. Believing self is judging. It's diacrino. You do the judging. That's what that's what faith is not diacrino. It's not you become the channel of judging. Faith is dying to the flesh, saying, God, I'm going to believe you and I believe you'll take care of all my enemies. If we can come to There's no doctrine in the Bible stronger than predestination. Whom he did foreknow, the people he foreknew. Not what he foreknew, but whom. Masculine and gender singular. Whose he did foreknow. Prognosco. The family he foreknew, he's predestined us, predetermined us for the boundary of God or the boundary of light. Prohorizo, prohorizon. He's pre-horizoned us so that we will be conformed to Christ's likeness. I'm going to try to get into Christ's likeness one of these weeks so that we can understand he was gentle and kind and tenderhearted and merciful and meek. And we've got to become all these things to be like Jesus. We have to become like him because he's predestined us to be like him. Let me read a little more of this. They provoked me with that which was not called God. They put a capital G in the English Bible, and it's not a capital G because it's that which is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their vanities, and I will move them to jealousy and with those which are not a people, and I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. For a fire is kindled in mine anger and shall burn unto the lowest hell. He's talking about his anger is toward Israel that have provoked him with unbelief, with no faith. 
and shall consume the earth with her increase and set on fire the foundations of the mountains. Mountains were capital cities. I'm going to burn the mountains of this world, God says. I will heap mischiefs upon them. This is God talking. And I will spend mine I will spend mine arrows upon them. They shall be burnt with hunger and devoured with burning heat. God's talking to Israel who has provoked him. And with bitter destruction I will also send the teeth of beast upon them. Teeth of beast, what's he talking about? Babylon, Babylonian lion, Persian bear, Grecian leopard, and the beast with iron teeth. Rome. I will send the teeth of beast upon them and with poison of serpents. Serpents, every time you find serpent or asp, it's usually talking about false teachers. Of the dust, the sword without and terror within shall destroy both young man and the virgin and the suckling and the man of gray hairs. I will not pity Israel. He said that over and over again. When he sent Nebuchadnezzar in, he said, I didn't spare anybody. I ripped the babies out of the bellies of the pregnant women. I killed the old man. You had no pity for me. I'll have none for you, Israel. I said I would scatter them into corners. Scattered by the beast. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. I would make the remembrance of them to cease from among men. When they were scattered, Israel wasn't talked about. They were just over there in captivity. Were it not that I feared the wrath of the enemy, lest their adversaries should behave themselves strangely and lest they should say our hand is high and the Lord hath not done all of this he doesn't want the enemy saying we have a high hand and we've whipped Israel God says I don't want them saying this now I want us to go back to Numbers the 20th chapter this is where I've I've got so many places to go with this. This is where Moses murmurs against God. Numbers 20, Moses murmurs against God. He provokes God with his unbelief. It doesn't make him an unbeliever. Moses has to be corrected by God. Numbers 20. Moses does something that's completely outrageous. And it cost him the promised land. He's not going to be able to go over into the promised land because of what he does. And in this 20th chapter of Numbers, two people die because of the wickedness of their heart. They're believers This shows you just how much God can do to believing men. It's just like Manasseh in that 20th chapter of 2 Kings. When Manasseh calls his son to pass through the fire to Moloch, when Manasseh raised up a tree goddess in the temple of God, 
Manasseh did more evil than any king before him. And he was the son of one of the most righteous kings who ever lived, Hezekiah. And boy, when I first read about Manasseh, not to be confused with the second-born son of Jacob, I mean of Joseph, not to be confused with that Manasseh. Manasseh was a common name like John or Jim in that day and time. There were many men named Manasseh. And I thought, boy, this guy deserves to go to hell. And then he gets carried away, and you don't read his final days until you get over to the book of Chronicles. When you get into Chronicles or get to Jeremiah, the last chapter, he converts, he he repents, and Manasseh repents and cries out to God. But it just shows you how evil righteous men can do. In this 20th chapter, this is a very, very interesting chapter. Remember in no in Numbers thirteen and fourteen, that's where the people provoke God by saying we can't go into the land and conquer those giants. It, I, I keep saying it's amazing to me. Just months before, God had conquered the largest army in the world, Pharaoh's army, and everybody was terrified of them. And they said, we can't whip these giants. God says, I don't intend for you to whip them. I whip them. He always had his miracles. So in this book of Numbers, in the fourth, this is where they provoke God. And they get to Kadesh Barnea right after they leave. They leave Mount Sinai in Numbers, the 10th chapter. So they're leaving Sinai. They get to Kadesh Barnea in that 12th and 13th chapter. And when you get to the 20th chapter, they're still at Kadesh Barnea. They haven't left there yet. And they, in the 20th chapter, they're still at Kadesh Barnea, where they murmured against God. Kadesh Barnea. And there's some interesting things that happen in this 20th chapter. Miriam, the older sister of Moses, dies. I am Miriam dies and Aaron Moses' older brother dies Aaron dies and Moses rebels against God and does something that God does not instruct him to do. He strikes. The people are murmuring. People are always griping and complaining, yet they wouldn't stop. The people of Israel were murmuring. This is a lot like we are. That... Wilderness. I keep saying it. That was a picture as our life. You can put it this way. 
If this is a wilderness, this is our life. And we have all the same wrestling matches they had. We've got this Pharaoh that we think we can't conquer. And then we've got these giants in the land of Anak we think we can't conquer. And we start provoking God with unbelief. So we just back off and quit. Well, that's what they were doing. They were griping because they had no water. You know how many times they did that? Over and over and over again. Always griping and complaining. How much time do I have, Mike? 32. All right. I want us to read this chapter. Because Moses does something that's just unheard of. All right, let's read here. Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation unto the desert of Zen in the first month and the people abode in Kadesh. They're still at Kadesh Barnea. And Miriam died there. I told you this a couple of weeks ago. The reason she died, she had murmured against Moses over here in the in the 12th chapter of Numbers because he had married an Ethiopian woman and God got in a rage at her. She said, well, you only talk to Moses and, and there's me and Aaron. And, and she was the instigator in this. We know that by what God did to Miriam. And she murmured against Moses and he married an Ethiopian. He married a black woman. And God said, he is my man and you have murmured against him and I will kill you. And he told Moses, you tell Aaron and Miriam, Aaron was the instigator here, you tell them to come to the door of the temple, I want to talk to them. Whoa! You want God to send that to you for murmuring against his will? If I'm the preacher and you murmur against me, You'll have to pay to God for that if I am the preacher. And I believe I am. I believe God put me here from eternity to tell people truth. I have so many people murmuring against me. If I'm the man of God, you better shut your mouth. I won't do anything to you. God will. The preachers always getting talked about, but they should if they're preaching free will in Christmas. Now, Miriam, God strikes her with leprosy when she comes to the door of the temple. And Moses cries out, oh God, please remove that from her. So I believe God killed her here for her sin, her lack of belief that God had picked Moses and not her and not Aaron. Moses couldn't talk. When God came to Moses in that in that third chapter up to the sixth chapter of Exodus, Moses said, I, 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 I'm a man of a thick lip, Lord. I, I can't give speeches. I can't talk. God says, Aaron, your older brother, will be your prophet. A prophet is one who speaks for another. He will speak for you. It was Aaron that said the things to Pharaoh it wasn't Moses 
Moses was God's leader. Now let's keep reading. There was no water for the congregation. Here we go again. It's happened many times before. And for they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. Your fault you brought us out here to die, didn't you? Oh, they'd done that before. They said that in the 14th chapter. Let's kill Moses and Aaron. Get us a leader to take us back to Egypt. That's kind of like, let's get me a leader to take me back to sin. And the people chod, rube, with Moses. Rube means to fight. And spake, saying, would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. I want to have wives ye brought up the congregation of the Lord into the wilderness that we and our cattle should die here. Boy, they had no faith in God, did they? And wherefore have you made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us unto this evil place of Kadesh Barnea? It is no place of seed or figs. There's no trees here. There's nothing here that we want. We're in a desert. Why have you got us here? Or vines or pomegranates. Neither is there any water to drink. Nothing to eat here. No water. What do you want from us, Moses? So I people saying, what do you want from me in this desert of life? And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly into the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And they fell upon their faces and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. And the Lord spake unto Moses saying, take the rod Gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak unto the rock before their eyes. He said, speak to the rock, talk to it, that's all. It reminds us of Exodus 17. This is right after they got into the wilderness, Exodus 17. And here's what happened over here Exodus 17 and verse 5 well let's start reading in verse 3 and the people thirsted there for water and the people murmured against Moses because they were thirsty in the desert it's like God can't supply I think we've said that in our lives against Moses and said wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us. They said that when they first got, they left Egypt in the 12th chapter, just a few chapters before. To kill us and our children, our cattle and thirst. And Moses cried unto the Lord saying, what shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. They want to kill me. Sometimes people want to kill the preacher because he's leading them out here into the desert of life and say, we have to follow the Lord through this difficulty. And the Lord said unto Moses, go on before the people and take with thee of the elders of Israel and thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river when it opened up to let them through. Take in thine hand and go and behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and Christ is the rock in the wilderness. He's the figurative rock. 
and thou shalt smite the rock. That's not what he said in verse chapter 20. There in verse 8, smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, and the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Maasah and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel. They were always arguing with Moses. Even after in the 16th chapter of Exodus, God supplied him with manna. And later on in that 14th chapter of uh, Numbers, he supplied them with doves in the morning and manna in the evening. And because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now, he smote the rock there, and water came forth. Over here in Numbers, the 20th chapter, he says, Speak to the rock. That's all I want you to do. If you trust God, do exactly what he says. Behold, in verse 8 of chapter 20, take the rod, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it shall and it shall give forth water, and thou shalt bring forth them the water out of the rock. So thou give the congregation. Now there were about two and a half million people in the wilderness. This had to be a big rock had to be something flowing with a gigantic flow, maybe a 15 or 20 feet wide. And Moses took the rod before the Lord as he commanded him, and Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation to gather before the rock, and he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels. Moses is talking to the children of Israel who want to kill him. Hey, you rebels! he's not being nice God wants him to slow down and believe him he only wants the children of Israel to be rebellious not Moses and Moses puts himself into the same boat with them hey you rebels must we fetch you water out of this rock God didn't tell him to ream the people out and he didn't, didn't tell him to hit a rock either And Moses lifted up his hand with his rod, and he smote the rock twice. He's mad. He goes, whack, whack, now, here's your water. God told him to speak to the rock, and he hit the rock. He thought, well, I hit the rock before. Why can't I hit it again? God's method changes from time to time. We change. I have had to learn not to be so tough on people. Not to be so hard and calloused. I've learned that over the years. Moses lifted up his his hand and his rod. He smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly. And the congregation drank. And their beast also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron. Because they believed me not. What do you mean Aaron didn't believe God? What does he mean here? He's talking about Aaron in the wilderness when Moses had been up on the mountain for several days and he wasn't coming down. In that 32nd chapter of Exodus, the people go to Aaron, say, build us a golden calf to go before us and he will be the God that brought us out of Egypt. And Aaron does that. 
You see, that shows Aaron's disbelief in the wilderness. Moses came down and says to Aaron, What have you done? And Aaron says, "Uh, Gosh, uh, we just took uh, some gold and threw it in the fire and I popped this calf. That's one of the biggest lies that's in the Bible. (laughs) It's true that what they did, but Aaron lied through his teeth because he, the people said, build us a calf. And he did more than throw gold in the fire. He fashioned it, the Bible says. Because you believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Let's go over there to that 32nd chapter. Let's look at what Aaron's doing. Because God's going to kill him in this 20th chapter. It was Aaron's unbelief. It was Moses' unbelief. Moses cries and weeps to God. Let me go into the land. God says, no, you're forbidden to go. He says that to him. And he says that to me in the further in the following verses in the twentieth chapter. The Lord spake unto Moses Aaron, because you believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. You're not going in Aaron, and you are definitely got not going in Moses. You just played with my commandments. I told you to speak to the rock. And I didn't tell you to get angry and scream at the people and say, you rebels. So they're both being rebellious when you go back to the 16th chapter of Exodus. Do I have any time, Mike? All right. Let's look at the 16th chapter of, not 16th, 32nd chapter of Exodus. Moses has been up on the mountain quite a while getting the laws of God. And the people come to Aaron in verse 1, chapter 32. And the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount. The people gathered themselves unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, Aaron, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. He ain't coming back. And Aaron said unto them, Now this doesn't sound like what he says later in the chapter. Aaron said, Bring the gold earrings which are in your ears and your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring all these earrings. They all wore earrings to me. And all the people break off the gold earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with the graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Just corrupt to the core. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before this this doesn't sound like what he's going to say. I'll just throw some gold in the fire and out pops his calf. No, no, he's fashioning it. I believe that's why God killed him in Numbers, the 20th chapter. It's because of his rebellion. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow's a fast to the Lord. What? You just made a golden calf. You're going to reduce Jehovah God to that golden calf? 
When Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. Aaron made a proclamation, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early in the morning tomorrow and offered burnt offerings and brought a peace offering. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Tosak. To laugh and make merry and probably have sexual episodes. And the Lord said unto Moses, Get thee down from the mount, Moses. For thy people which thou brought out of the land of Egypt, they are corrupting themselves. And they turned aside quickly out of the way, the direct, same Old Testament word as hodos, the narrow way in the New Testament. Now is the word tribulation. They turned away from tribulation. They turned out of the way. They've corrupted themselves, which I commanded them, and they have made a molten calf and have worshipped it. This is the children of Israel in the wilderness. Do we ever make a golden calf in our life? Remember, covetousness is idolatry. Idolatry means idol worship, a golden calf worship. E-I-D-O-L-O-L-A-T-R-E-I-A. Idolotria is the word idolatry. It comes from ido, meaning to see or perceive. See or perceive. And latrua meaning to serve. It means to serve what you put into your eyes and your ears. And covetousness, pleonectase, means to want more any way you can get it, being deceptive or however. When you want that car, that house, or that woman, and you'll cheat to get it. You're an idolater and you're worshiping a golden calf. It's what you want. Idolatry is alive and well in America. They made a golden calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt, the golden calf. People say, My money is what delivered me. I'm rich. God must have blessed me. They suppose that gain is God, and it's the word suppose. Nomizo comes from the word nomos, which is the word law. They've legalized gain as godly. Nomizo comes from nomos, which is the Greek word law. They've legalized gain as godly. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people. We're not talking about pagans. We're talking about Israel, who God's delivering out of the out of 400 years of bondage. It's supposed to be his people believers. Don't look like they're any better than a bunch of heathens. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them, that I may consume them, and I will make thee by yourself, Moses, a great nation. And Moses besought the Lord his God. God ordains that prayer. You can't even beseech God without bowing to the will of God. And said, Lord, why dost thou wrath wax hot against thy people which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, this is what the Egyptians are going to say. 
Lord. For mischief did he bring them out and slay them in the mountains. He brought them out here for no reason and then killed them. Remember Abraham? Well, let me read that 12th verse again. Wherefore should the Egyptians say, He brought them out to kill them in the mountains, consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidst them, I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. It don't belong to the Palestinians. It belongs to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jacob's name is changed to Israel. And he promised the land to them in Genesis 17 and Genesis 28. And Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and his 12 sons became the nations. They had 12 tribes. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. Repent, now calm means to breathe a sigh of pity and relief. And Moses turned and went down from the mount, and the two tables of testimony were in his hand. The tables were written on both their sides, and on the one side and on the other side were they written, and the tables were the work of God, and the writing was of the writing of God, graven upon the tables. Remember, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances. And look at what Moses does. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted and said unto Moses, There's a noise of war in the camp. And he said, Is it not the voice of them that shout for the mastery? Neither it is the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing. Do I hear their singing and revelry and partying? And Moses shocks him coming down from the mountain. And it came to pass as soon as he came nigh into the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. They were celebrating the golden calf, saying that's what brought them out of Egypt. We're not talking about pagans. We're talking about Israel. Shows you how far away from God a believer can get. And Moses' anger waxed hot. And he cast the tables out of his hand and break them beneath the mount. What are we going to do for, for the law written on tables of stone anymore? You look in Ezekiel 34. In Ezekiel 34 and verse 4. And God hewed two tables of stone like unto the first. And Moses rose up early in the morning and went up unto Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand the two tables of stone. So he rewrote them. Just like he rewrote the book of of Jeremiah when the king took, when Jehoiakim took Jeremiah's book when, when his secretary... Baruch went to King Jehoiakim and he read the Jeremiah's words and Baruch took the 
book of Jeremiah, cut it in little pieces with a with a little knife and threw the threw the book into the fire and Jeremiah had to write it again. We don't know what the first book said. And they did the same thing here. And the tables were the work of God and the writing of the and the writing was the writing of God, graven on tables. That's verse sixteen. Uh, that's chapter 32 of we're still talking about we're talking about God why God killed Aaron he killed him because of this chapter right here and when Joshua heard the noise of the people the noise of war in the camp he said it is not the voice of them that shout for mastery Neither is the voice of them that cry for overcome, but the noise of them that sing do I hear. They're partying when Moses is coming down from the mountain. And it came to pass as soon as he came nigh unto the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing and Moses' anger waxed hot and he cast the tables out of his hands and broke them beneath the mount and he took the calf which they had made and burned it in fire and ground it to powder. I don't want any semblance of it. Reminds us of when in that 23rd chapter of Second Kings when Josiah took all the images of these pagans and ground them to powder and threw them in the brook. I don't want any resemblance of paganism in here. Reminds us when the Puritans came to America and they outlawed Catholicism and said, you can't have it here. And it was against the law to celebrate Christmas 300 years ago in America. And strawed upon the water and made the people of Israel to drink of it. Boy. And Moses said unto Aaron, what did this people do unto you, Aaron, to make you do this? Now remember, he planned it. He asked for all of their gold. And he put together and he fashioned this golden calf. Listen to what he says. This is the excuse that people in America make. Well, I can't help it. After all, all these people around me. And I was tempted. I just couldn't, I couldn't resist the temptation. What did these people do to you, Aaron? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord. His three-year-old brother is calling him Lord. Let my the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief. Well, so are you, Aaron. For they said unto me, Make us gods, which shall go before us, for as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's happened or what's become of him. He's disappeared out of our lives. And I said unto them, Whosoever hath any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it me, and I cast it into the fire, and out jumps this calf. You believe that? If you believe that, Moses should have said, I've got some swampland in Louisiana. I need to talk to you about selling you. What a con. One of the biggest cons in the Bible is Aaron telling Moses how this calf came about. Because when you read earlier, they gave all of their... He took a graving tool after he had made the golden calf. He made it. He didn't just throw gold in a fire. I believe this is why God killed Aaron in that 20th chapter of Numbers. 
when Moses saw that the people were naked. Ah, they're singing and partying and they're all naked. They're having sexual orgy. They're only naked because of that. People don't take off their clothes for any other reason. Moses saw they were naked, for Aaron had made them naked unto their shame among their enemies. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. Remember Levi, these were the high priests. And he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side, and go in out from the gate to gate throughout the camp, and slay every man his brother. Everybody is worshiping this golden calf. Kill them! And they're all Israelites. And every man his companion, every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses and their fellow the people that day. Three thousand men died that day. You think God is not upset at Aaron? He's going to kill three thousand men and he's going to let Aaron off the hook? No, he don't let him off the hook in that 20th chapter of Numbers. Why would he kill all the rest of them when Aaron was one of the leaders in this rebellion, this coup? For Moses had said, Can I consecrate yourself today to the Lord, even every man upon his son and upon his brother, that he may bestow upon you a blessing this day. And it came to pass on the next day, the morrow, that Moses said unto the people, You have sinned a great sin in making this golden calf. Now I will go up unto the Lord, peradventure, perhaps, I will make an atonement for your sin, this golden calf. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, O this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold, yet now... If thou wilt forgive this sin, if not blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. They had a book of life that they kept in their various, like little capital buildings, usually at the gate of a city. That acted as their place. They did all their law business. And Moses said, and the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever has sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. And God knows who they are and he knows everybody's heart. So he knows who to kill. Therefore, now go lead the people into the place which I have spoken unto thee. Behold, mine angels shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day which I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And the Lord plagued the people because they made the calf, which Aaron made. Boy. Now we've got to go back to Numbers 20 and see Aaron die for this. In verse 14, chapter 20, we already said, God says, you're not going over the land. Moses, not only you, but your brother Aaron's not going. He's going to die very shortly. 
because of his provoking me and you have provoked me. Now, God still loved Moses. You can see that at the end of the book. But Moses is not going to go and possess the land. That's going to be left up to Joshua to do that. Verse 14, Moses sent messengers from Kadesh unto king of Edom. Thus saith thy brother Moses, thy brother Israel. Israel was Edom's brother. Edom was Esau. Israel was Jacob. Oh, Edom was south of Israel. That's where Edom was. It was the land of Esau or the land of Idumea. Thou knowest all the travail that hath befallen us. <laughs> That's a great statement. Edom, Esau, you know all that's talking. Boy, the word is out through all the land. What God has done to us. He's killed us right and left, delivering us. What that's a picture of, it's the outer man being killed off in our lives. The inner man is Christ in you. And the only thing he's going to deliver to the other side of the river, to the eternal rest of God, is the inner man, Christ in you, the hope of glory. How our fathers went down into Egypt, and we have dwelt in Egypt a long time, 400 years. How much time do I have? Huh? Am I out? I'll come back next week. We'll have to finish this. I'm going to talk about unbelief for some time. Unbelief is the exact opposite of believe. It's the opposite of faith. Everything that faith does, unbelief does not do. In fact, it undoes, undoes everything that belief does. I love this study on belief and faith. It's just overwhelming, especially looking into the law and seeing what the Bible says about Israel. Israel is the church. The church is Israel. And you have to look at what God did to Israel to understand what he's doing in our lives to get rid of self. Self is a picture of those people that murmured against God and that provoked God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. God, I don't even know what to ask for anymore. Just supply our need, open doors for this ministry that we can preach truth to the world if at all possible. You know what we have need of. I think of who I'm talking to. I'm talking to the living God. I just pray that you'll deal with our hearts and our lives. Cause us to continue truth. Strengthen the flock everywhere that is listening to this message. Fight our battles, Lord. There's many battles and we can't fight them. You have to. Just like you did with Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. We'll praise you for everything. Lead us to your elect family. In Christ's name, amen. I like the reality of Moses and Aaron arguing with against God and them him correcting them. Wow.